it's all been done before And if you could only let it be You would say I like you the way you are When we're driving in your car And you're talking to me one on one But you become somebody else Around everyone else You're watching your back Like you can't relax You're trying to be cool You look like a fool to me Tell me Why do you have to go and make things so complicated? I see the way you're acting like somebody else Gets me frustrated Life's like this You fall and you crawl and you break And you take what you get And you turn it into Honestly, you promise me I'm never gonna find you fake it Hey guys, how are you doing? It's exactly, it's exactly 4.19 p.m. this Monday evening and it's, um, it's, 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 it's a public holiday. It's a holiday actually, so it's a long weekend and it's pretty cool. So um, uh, to be very honest, I wanted to do it on Sunday and I could keep up with my time on Sunday, but I said, hey man. It's a long weekend and I can always, you know, kind of record it today. So that's what I'm doing. Um, and uh, I hope you guys are doing really well. This is Merle Classo bringing my episode number, whatever it is uh, for this week. Uh, I mean, it is supposed to be actually for last week. Uh, but since this weekend is long, I just bring, bring it to you on Monday. Um, so uh, what's happening, guys? Like, what is happening? Like, uh How's life? How's health? Uh, if you ask me, for me, I don't know how uh, this year has just gone by. Um, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a pandemic year. It's supposed to be something that has never ever happened any time in the history of the universe for about like hundred years now, one uh, hundred years now, and uh, something which might not really uh, be repeated for the next 100 years and um, everything was is un- under lockdown still under lockdown and in spite of that and be- you know in spite of that we are in the month of October in the middle of October 2020 so this year's almost kinda over you know it's going to be christmas now it's going to be the new year and let's see hope we get a vaccine by then hope we get all oh, get vaccinated by then and we just go you know life as usual because it's just getting too long but it's get it's fast so it doesn't feel like ages it just feels like everything is just rushing by you know so that's that's what i feel i hope you guys are doing well because you know this is a terrible year 2020 you know uh, but of course, uh, the good thing, I mean, yesterday I was watching uh, this. Uh, so there's, there's a kind of entertainment that is kind of returned, like, you know, not uh, uh, not returned full fledged. But uh, there is uh, there is some kind of form of entertainments that have been that are back. Like I was watching the uh, the French Open uh, 2020 French Open. And yesterday I watched the match between Rafa uh, Nadal, that is a uh, Nadal and Djokovic and I was like um, I I really loved the match it was one of the best matches I wasn't really uh, since I'm a little superstitious and I don't like mentioning who I'm really supporting because those guys always lose when I do that especially when it comes to sports uh, but after I watched uh, Nadal's first set in the match I was like Six zero. This guy is winning. There's no way that he's you know kind of losing. So I kind of gave in and I said, "Hey, Rafa, just go there. You know, this guy is winning it for sure." And I love the match so. I mean, I love the entire match so much. Uh, I like Djokovic as well, but I've always you know kind of uh, been a biggest supporter of Nadal because I've watched him for f- about fifteen years, like from two thousand five to two thousand twenty. He's won around twenty cups right now. I mean, twenty titles so far, like since uh, since fifteen years of his uh, game. Yeah, you know. Uh, since since how long he's been playing and uh, of course the French Open has always been his baby clay court he's a king of clay uh, as they call him and uh, watching him you know uh, watching him for so long it's like 
I've just got stuck, you know. That's the, that's the guy I'm going to support because I've been watching him for so long, you know. Um, but I love the match. It was pretty entertaining. So some kind of entertainment which uh, came back. Uh, the back ends were the best. And, you know, as um, so out of these 15 years, he, he won around 20 titles, uh, and uh, which is a great, uh, great, it's it's like uh, talks uh, superb about the person, you know, because uh, when you talk about sports, it invo- it it requires a lot of uh, practice. It involves a lot of uh, you know exercise to be able to maintain that uh, stamina, and uh, it requires a lot of passion for the game. It requires a lot of consistency for the game because it's not it's not just like you know. Uh, I'm not saying that acting is easy. I'm not ta- I'm not saying that acting is easy. But hey, man, you know, acting is something that you. It doesn't require that kind of stamina and, you know, um, uh, this, sports is all about stamina. Like if you don't have it uh, and, a, and, few, and the skills that you need to possess, you'll never be able to play the game. You know, you're just done with the game. So um, that's why I really appreciate sports people because they really have to work so hard to get to where they are. Uh, and that's what I, I really liked about, um, yeah, I like about uh, Rafael Nadal, you know, and as he says, and he maintains so much of humility, like I love that about him as well. Like he always says, you know, people make a great deal or they exaggerate a lot about the business of being humble or the business of humility. All he says, it's a question of simply knowing if you know who you are, where you are, and that the world will continue exactly as it is without you. The, uh, humility or being humble is not a big deal you know you have to be humble and you have to have that humility because you're not going to be there you're not going to be famous or you're not going to be popular though uh all your life and uh you know and even if you're gone people can do without you as well you know if you understand that concept i think um uh uh, you know the the so much of emphasis that we put on humility and uh being humble would not be everyone it's just something that you got to be you know because uh um ego just just it doesn't get you anywhere so i love that saying of uh rafael nadal i love the guy as well um so um so i love the match i was i watched the entire uh the entire match and uh it was brilliant you know i love i love rafael nadal i hope i don't know whether he's going to even win the 2040 because he's won so many ti- french open titles you know i believe it's 13 french open titles out of his 20 uh total titles 13 of them are french open titles so he's the master of clay like he's always been winning it uh it's i think it's just you know like i always i was mentioning uh the other day that it's consistency and passion discipline you know to be able to play that game for so long for so many years and winning it always you know it needs so much to be able to do that um i believe uh and and I'll, you know the another thing about sports people and sportsmen that i really love is they get the opportunity to work uh to uh, to represent the country, you know, that's another thing. And I'm not a nationalist. I'm not a nationalist. I can appreciate someone doing some real good work, no matter what their nationality is. Like, you know, I can I'll immediately do it. I'm not going to be like, you know, sitting there and saying that, uh, uh, you know, so, but what I'm trying to say is, uh, it's it's a great opportunity for sports people to be able to represent their country. And imagine winning uh, for their country, like, that's that's something that you know brings a lot of pride and uh, for the country so when when they were playing the national anthem of uh, spain because he won uh, he literally was in tears you know and he got emotional which i love that and that's another thing that i love about nadal anyways congratulations to the guy and since we're talking about uh, since we're talking about awards and all that uh, you know about these uh, great achievements etc i also want to congratulate um, uh, the um, UN World Food Program because they won the Nobel, uh, the Norwegian Nobel uh, Committee's Peace, uh, Peace Nobel uh, Peace Prize, uh, which was, uh, I believe, uh, there were about uh, 107 organizations and 211 individuals nominated for this category of the Nobel Peace Prize. And out of all these people in 2020, uh, the UN World Food Program actually 
totally deserving it. I believe they get uh, this award uh, of $1.1 million, which they're definitely going to put in the food programs, uh, which is great because I, I think it was a great stunner. You know, we have been seeing people like individuals getting these awards, like, you know, um, but an organization like UN World Food Program absolutely deserved it. The UN World Food Program absolutely deserved it. Um, they were recognized for their efforts to combat combat hunger and improve conditions for peace in conflict-affected areas and for acting as a driving force in efforts to prevent the use of hunger as a weapon of war and conflict, which is so true. Like, for example, the immediate country they can think of is Syria. It's a war-torn country. And whoever has, uh, has created the war there, they are basically you know, using hunger as a weapon of war and conflict. People are not fed there, they're malnourished there. So um, truly deserving, like totally, truly deserving the UN Food World Program. And I believe uh, they they have uh, this zero hunger, five steps uh, program to zero hunger, the World Food Programs. Uh, hashtag zero hunger is a goal that they have, uh, that they have, uh, you know, kind of put on their goal sheet. And they plan to achieve it by uh, paving the road from farm to markets because most of the, uh, although the earth produces so much of food, you know, it doesn't reach the market. So farmers are cultivating, they're into agricultural lands, etc. But these food, the food, you know, they're, they, some of them I've seen in some places like, you know, uh, potatoes are simply rotting. So they need to reach the markets. And that's what uh, the World Food Program is working on, reducing food wastage, encouraging sustainable variety of crops, make nutrition a priority, starting with a child's first thousand, one thousand days. Uh, so these are the uh, five steps to uh, zero hunger that uh, the World Food Program has uh, kind of initiated to be able to achieve the goal and uh, zero hunger is basically a pledge to end hunger to achieve food security among people improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture which is so good our farmers are the most important people on this planet you know of course the earth produces a lot of uh, 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 can produce is very fertile can produce a lot of uh, food but it's the farmers who grow them, who cultivate them, you know, who take care of them and uh, then pass it on into the markets and then we can buy it. So they're such an important part of uh, the economy all over the world. And, you know, my question has always been, hey, man, you know, Earth produces so much of food. But why is there still hunger? Like, you know, what is the problem? Why is there still hunger when I can, there is so much of food, like you go to a supermarket, you see so many varieties of apples and uh, uh, anything like you go, you, you find fruits, vegetables, there are different types of things, you know, that are available. Despite that, there is food insecurity. Despite that, there's hunger all over the world. And then we always equate, uh, you know, hunger with uh, the developing world or the uh, developing world or the poor countries. But in fact, hunger is also available in the develop in developed countries, which is very surprising to a few. But hey, man, it is the truth. Even in the developed world, like in America, people see a lot of hunger there is uh there is uh, you know one in five people in america are food insecure so um you know uh that is one of the developed worlds that i'm talking about and it's it's the same with all other develop, developed countries so equating uh food hunger you know uh, or hunger with uh, just the developing or the underdeveloped world is so wrong it is the entire world which has the problem with this uh with this of course it is at the different levels it is more uh, it is more predominant in poor countries as compared to the number you know if you take the number it's much more higher in poor countries but at the same time so what is what are the causes of uh, what are the causes of uh, of hunger like poverty they say you can't buy food because you don't have the money you know, and now it's aggravated more because of the economy. You know, the pandemic has crashed everything. The outbreaks like pandemics and other things have intensified poverty. 
and because of that more people have you know are standing in food lines there's food shop food shortages uh which could also occur because the food that is produced in the farm they don't reach the markets war and conflict areas which is so true it just kind of increases uh increases uh you know uh the possibility of hunger in a particular place on earth uh climate change is another thing less rainfall you know weather fluctuations etc could be in another few causes of uh hunger uh poor nutrition i believe it's more in the developed world wherein uh, uh people have the food you know but it's not uh, it's not uh, the essential food or not nutritional value it is more fast food junk food because because uh, because of poverty you know you don't have the money to buy good good food you don't have money to buy food that will supplement Uh, that you require for growth and you know as, as especially the kids that they needed poor public policy that is if you don't have good infrastructure your farm whatever your farmers really produce there they don't reach the markets you know low investment in agriculture taking care of our farmers like in india farmers are actually committing suicide because they're not getting the return on their investments you know uh, uh, so you need good public policy the government for example in india needs to have those bills passed to make it easier for farmers to be able to buy raw materials that they need provide them loan when they require loans so that they don't commit suicide you know because they're not getting return on investments improve infrastructure that they can take their foods that they produce and deliver it in market and they get equal amount back you know there are a lot of middlemen in the process of middle people in the process it goes from the farmer to a dealer and the dealer then sends it to the market so the dealer takes the huge cut and the farmers are in losses so public policy so important food wastage hey man take how much you need on your plate you know that's what they say so they're not wasting like there are so many events and weddings and birthday parties etc there's so much of food that is wasted you know i wish there could be some kind of you know program developed wherein all the this food that fresh food that is that comes out from these parties and these events they can be uh they can be recycled you know to feed those he, who need it somehow i don't know there could be a program that's what i'm thinking of so there are a number of causes of uh, you know food insecurity or food hu- of hunger and the only way we can do it poverty since poverty is the biggest cause of it print money i've been saying this for years i know you know i know the markets will crash it is like it is like a social uh, we'll we'll become like venezuela uh, where the the you know even bread would have would cost like uh, 10 to 20 30 dollars if you have to buy it uh, because of the devaluation of money but hey man this is a pandemic season if you have to print money print money you know make it available to people who really need it so that's one thing that i can think of or make um, make food really easily available you know schools should have food for everybody whether you're rich whether you're poor every child nutritional food is uh, you know supplied in schools colleges so that you know uh, you don't have a special line for children who are poor you know uh, you have lines where the rich and the poor stand in those lines for food your food is free it flows like water like food f- flows like water you don't give it that much importance that you to buy food and then you get good food you know it should be free maybe that's another way of uh, fighting hunger or maybe like i've been talking for like ages now how about the universal basic income give a fixed amount of money to people every month or maybe a lump sum amount of money in a year and see how things will change you know like talking about it uh i actually uh, actually came across um, a research paper recently released um in canada i believe uh, you know uh, like uh, we always say that you know people always say don't give money to people you know don't give money to the poor because these guys are the homeless people because uh, they won't use it to uh, buy food or they won't use it to buy uh, uh, use it usefully you know they will use it to maybe buy alcohol or cigarettes or uh, drugs or other uh, get into bad vices etc that's what people say so they say that instead of giving them money how about giving them uh, giving them food or buying them something instead so that's that's the normal no common notion you know that uh, people really have but uh, but a recent study 
actually just recently released where researchers in Canada, uh, they called it the New Leaf Project. Now, this New Leaf Project was an initiative between uh, of uh, the Foundation for Social Change. This is an NGO and the University of British Columbia. Now, this is this is all in Canada. Okay, recent research paper, wherein um, a lump sum amount of seven thousand five hundred Canadian dollars, which is equivalent to about five thousand seven hundred American dollars, was given to fifty homeless people in the age group of nineteen to sixty-four years. Okay, so seven uh, five thousand seven hundred American dollars was given to fifty homeless people living in Canada. Um, between the age group of 19 to 64 years. And that was given and they were monitored for 12 months. That is a year. So that's a lump sum for a year. Now, these researchers wanted to see what would what would the outcome of this uh, program be like, you know. So they compared the outcomes with a control group. Now, this control group was also homeless, b- belonging to the same age group of 19 to 64 years, but they were not given that lump sum amount of $5,700. American dollars. Uh, so after a year, the, the findings uh, were brilliant. Like, you know, the, the idea, the idea that we, uh, we kept thinking of, you know, that, hey, man, don't give, uh, don't give people, don't give the homeless people money because they'll misuse it. They'll go get, uh, they'll buy cigarettes, they'll buy alcohol, they buy drugs, they won't use it uh, uh, resourcefully was really completely pushed down the drain, actually, uh, with the findings of this Canadian study. Uh, what they found is um, those people who received money, you know, who received 5,700 lumps in a month, they, they eventually got into stable housing and it was really fast. They got into stable housing fast. That means they wanted to have a better life. It's not that they want to get into bad habits forever. Everybody wants to have a respectable, everybody a life, everybody wants to have a a life of dignity, you know, they'll do anything to live that life of dignity. So as soon as they got the money, they found that those people, they had, they, uh, they got into stable housing faster as compared to the control group. Um, then um, uh, they were able to, able to access food that they needed uh, for living. Uh, nearly 70% of them became food secure, okay, within that one year. So they were uh, nutrition, they were, they were, they, they felt better, they, they ate well, um and uh, you know uh, they spent more on food clothing and uh, rent uh, as compared to the control group and 39% of them actually spent less on alcohol drugs and cigarettes which is brilliant which is absolutely stunning revelation you know this misconception that people put in your heads you know and and we're not talking about socialism here we're not talking about socialism we're not talking about capitalism we're just talking about dignity of life you know give people the respect that they deserve and help them come out of it because you need to give them the helping hand you know open the door slightly for them and see where they can go because i i I love the study believe me i really love the study and um i was like hey man uh you know researchers do such fantastic jobs to open our eyes towards the reality versus all these fake things that we keep believing that, you know, the rich people really make us believe, uh, um, which is really uh, an eye-opener, and I really believe uh, this uh, this study. Uh, that's why I say UBI, universal basic income, can change a lot of things, you know. And hunger, something like this should never really be a, a part of anybody's life all over the world i cannot stay i want to eat so many meals in a day and if i don't get it i feel so horrible my stomach hurts my mental capacity is unable to uh, is it cannot function how can you tell kids no you're not going to get food today you know that's what needs to change that's what needs needs to change so I was like, hey, man, um, uh, this research, like, you know, uh, uh, proves that the universal basic income of giving money, giving a lump sum amount of money or giving some amount of money every month to a family, to a person can change things. You know, they will go, they will spend that money for food, clothing and rent, which is the basic necessities of human rights, you know. Uh, And they would also decrease their uh, bad habits, which is so good, you know. 
So that's what I'm talking about. That's what I am fucking talking about, man. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so um, I haven't watched any movie uh, last week. And um, I wish I could. But talking about Hollywood and Bollywood, one thing that I've kind of, uh, which is uh, which is like, uh, now I only watch Hollywood and Bollywood movies. That's the only thing. I watch Hindi movies. I watch English movies. I don't watch movies, uh, uh, you know, um, where I have to read subtitles, like in other language movies, reading subtitles. I can't read subtitles. That's something that I can't do. I'll never do. Like, I want to watch so many movies, like this this Korean movie, which won the Oscars or something. I can't remember the name. But to be able to watch that movie, I have to read the subtitles. Uh, and I don't want to do it. There's no way that I'm going to do it. But what's the name of the movie? I can't remember now. You know, I want to watch that uh, South Korean movie, which won the Oscars. Let me just check what it is. Uh, which won the Oscars. <laughs> Uh, I wish I had an assistant who could uh, look at the Google and search for me, uh, but I can't do it. Yeah, Parasite. <laughs> you know, sometimes I really wish I had an assistant sitting there and, you know, telling me, hey, you know, I want this. Could you find this out for me, you know, while I talk to you guys? But I don't have that. Uh, I don't have that privilege. You know? I'm not the privileged kind. But anyways, I just Googled it right now. It's called The Parasite. So I'm talking about this um, South Korean film which was made by uh, Bong Joon. It's the Oscars for the best international feature film. Now, I want to watch this movie desperately, okay, Parasite. But it's in South Korean, I believe. Uh, and um, to be able to understand this movie, uh, it's in Korean. And to be able to understand this movie, I have to read the subtitles. And hey, man. Hey, man. I'm not going to read, listen, I'm not going to read stuff and I'm going to strain my eyes, you know. I want to do other things as I watch the movie. Like, I'm not going to be, like, totally, like, you know, uh, uh, in it. Like, you know, I want to do other, th- be able to do, like, eating or, you know, uh, going through my phones. That's what I do when I'm watching a movie. I'm not con- completely 100% into a movie, you know. So I'm not going to read subtitles of the Parasite movie. I want it maybe dubbed in English, you know. Maybe then I would watch it, but I desperately want to watch this movie because I believe it's a big hit. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, so talking about Hollywood and Bollywood movies, that's the, those are the only movies that I watch because I understand these two languages. I used to watch Marathi movies, but that was long back. Now I've kind of almost uh, stopped those movies. And uh, so, uh, uh, so the common factor, the common thing in uh, Hollywood and Bollywood movies. Um, is basically, um, you know, uh, majority of them, I'm not saying all of them, most of them, uh, they have these uh, 55, 60-year-old male actors romancing with 20 to 25-year-old female actors. So what the hell? What the fucking hell is this? And I have no problems with this. Hey, man, I have no problems with ageism like I have no I'm not an ageist like I'm not looking at age as a factor like you can be any uh, amount of age but why is it common thing that 55 to 60 year old male actors always romancing uh, 20 to 25 year old female actors but why isn't the reverse possible why aren't 55 to 60 year old female actors romancing 20 to 25 year old male actors that's my only question that's my only problem like it has never happened in any hollywood and bollywood movie movies it's always the elderly male actor romancing young school going kids you know so why is that a standard practice like what's happening and i have no problems with age hey man nothing of that sort i want the reverse to also be possible you know uh i okay uh uh leaving it aside i understand if it's a movie which is based on some kind of biopic or something where an elderly man uh kind of um uh, you know uh kind of uh romanced a young uh you know younger female and i understand that but hey uh you know uh, I, uh why isn't the reverse possible that's my question you know if it's normal for male actors playing roles uh romancing 20 year olds uh 
for 50 year old male actors to be romancing 20 year olds uh female actors then why isn't it possible that 50 year old female actors romance 20 year old male actors that should also be possible for instance bollywood movies that's hindi movies akshay kumar is an actor in his 50s he's romancing nupur sanon who's in her 20s salman khan who has been forever in the industry he's about 55 years old he's in his 50s he's uh, he's romancing disha patnani in a movie who is in her 20s you know i want to see madhuri dikshit like madhuri dikshit is in a 50 in a 50s to be romancing tiger shroff who's in his 20s you know that's what i want to see and if that happens and i'll say hey man that's fine you know if the reverse is also possible if it's equal for men and women to be doing the same thing then i have no problems with age age is never a problem it's the way we look at people you know we look at uh, a sex of a person because she's a female you have to be young in a uh, to be a leading a uh, playing a lead leading character hollywood movies like if you see blame it on rio you have michael kane who's in his 50s he's romancing michelle johnson who's a teenager in the movie you know pretty woman you have richard gear who's in his 40s romancing julia roberts who's in is just 20 years old in the movie you know i want to see julia roberts who's now in her 50s to be paired with uh, timothy Sham- charlemagne who's in his 20s that's what i want to see and if that happens i have no problem why not if it's possible for for uh, elderly uh male actors to romance young really young uh, early 20s female actresses then the reverse should also be possible it should be possible for 50 60 year old female lead characters romancing may young 20 21 22 year olds male actors you know in the movies and that's what i'm talking about that's the only thing that i i want you know i have nothing about age age can be anything but it should be equal for both men and women that's what i'm talking i'm not, i'm not a feminist as well so you know um i appreciate i mean i'm not i'm not i'm not a feminist I'm saying this as an observer, you know, as something that I've been uh, seeing for a pretty long time. <sighs> It's a lot, man. It's a lot. How it started and how's it going? How it started and how's it going? <laughs> yeah, so uh I was like, you know, uh another shocker that happened over the past week was um this thing about oh my god, that was a huge silence again. Okay, I was just thinking. Um this thing about um a big shocker. Like, hey man, uh, it's a total walk like an Egyptian thing, you know. Imagine it's the year 2020. a year which is like hey don't do anything devastating because this year has been totally devastating the pandemic has stopped everything and has brought life to a standstill has made life so different from normal um but in this year some some archaeologists some place in egypt they decided let let's open this 2500 years old egyptian tombs you know um that were uh that was done in 2020 hey man could you just wait till the pandemic is over like what if these egyptian egyptian mummies that were in those boxes uh, uh carried the covid-19 virus like we don't want anything more to spread you know but these archaeologists they found about 659 well preserved and sealed wooden coffins that were buried about 2500 years ago and they thought of opening up like in the best the most auspicious year of the world that is 2020 and um so i don't know whether you watched it but i found it pretty thrilling i mean when they kind of opened it uh, to look at these mummies or daddies or whatever you call them why are they why mummies what what mummy you know i don't know what they call mummies really I have no idea mummification maybe it's come from that 
But um, but I found that pretty thrilling. I mean, I was like, hey, man, this is like the thing, you know. Uh, uh, but just imagine how Egyptians actually preserve bodies like that. You know, today, what uh, like what we do is just burn or bury a body and we are done with it. Like, depending on a religious uh, ceremony that is, and it's done. But these Egyptians actually did so much work to uh, to kind of mummify a body, which was, uh, you know, because they believed in afterlife and they believed in immortality. And I was like, I wanted to know more about, you know, uh, this whole mummification process. And I was like, why, why are they doing it? You know, why did they did so much work to preserve a body in those years? Of course, it's a very expensive process. I don't know what are the qualifications of the person or the priest who does this whole process of uh, mummi- mummification, because when I read it, I was like stunned. It t- totally like uh, uh, I learned it after after this whole opening process of uh, this two thousand five hundred year old mummies. I want to know how the mummy what is the mummification process exactly, and I actually had to do some TED talk reading you know, to be able to understand it. It's so it's such a long process that these priests do. I wonder what is the qualifications of these priests. You know, I believe only doctors can do a topsy or. Um, of a body, but these were priests, you know, like a father of a church, or maybe a a pundit of a mandir, you know, or um, uh, what do you call the the Muslim uh, people, you know, the the Islamic priest of uh, uh, the masjid who really does it. So I was like, I was like, uh, these priests are like when I when when I was going through the process of. Um, you know, how do they, what is the process of mummification? I was like stunned. Um, the first thing that they do is they put a hook, it seems, through a hole near the nose and they pull out the brain because the brain, uh, you know, uh, degrades or decomposes uh, very easily. So that's the first thing that they remove. Then they make a cut, it seems, on the left side of yeah, of the tummy and they get out all the organs uh, internal organs because that's uh, that's another you know process that decomposes quickly and the body starts smelling then they remove the organs and dry it in some jars like the lungs the intestine and the stomach and the liver they put it in the jars uh, they place the heart back, it seems, inside the body because they consider it as a very sacred. Uh, uh, now, the main, the main reason, it seems, they do mummification is because they believe that there's an afterlife, that a body is, um, there is, um, uh, there is life after death. That's afterlife, right? Uh, and it's just that death is just a temporary interruption. They believe that for the, they, they want, uh, they believe that the soul returns back to the body you know, after death. So it's just a temporary interruption, but the soul returns back to the body and to make the body look uh, look recognizable so that the soul ca- can recognize the body, they, uh, they did the mummification process. And that's the reason for mummification. I believe it's a long process. It's a very expensive process and only the rich really did it at that time. Uh, so that's the secret behind why a mummification process is done because they believed in afterlife. They believed that death was just a temporary interruption and they believe that the soul returns back to the body and they have to preserve the body and make it recognizable to souls and that's why they made the body look good you know uh and so it's it's a very uh it's a very like you know they take out the internal organs the body and they preserve it in jars and then they place the heart back because they believe that it's a very important and sacred uh, part of the body uh they rinse the inside of the body with wines and spices and um with some special kind of salt, uh, which is called the neutron salt, which is uh, a soda ash plus baking soda. It seems the salts, they, uh, they, they prevent growth of bacteria and uh, they remove all the moisture from the body. Um, you know, it's like marinating fish, literally, but this is a different kind of salt that they use. And after 40 days, it seems, uh, they stuff the body with uh, the, uh, with a with linen or sand to give it that more human shape kind of thing. After 70 days, they wrap the body from head to toe with bandages. Imagine bandages in 2000 years ago. Were bandages really made? Like, I don't know. Uh, 
That was cotton, right? Cotton bandages. I have no idea. But of course, they use bandages and then they place the body like after 70 days of, you know, marinating and non-marinating it by putting salt or whatever, putting the wine, spices, etc. So that, you know, uh, all the moisture is drained out um, and all the bacteria is killed um, using these special salts, etc. Then they place it in a sacrifage phagus, which is a special kind of box, which is usually a coffin. And the priest does all this, you know, is doing all this process. And um, so it's pretty, it's pretty stunning. It seems that uh, after a mummy uh, uh, body is mummified, uh, doctors can actually perform an autopsy on the body, identify the DNA of the person, uh, uh, do an autopsy of the body because it is still, you know, it still preserves those, uh, those, what do you call it? The DNA, the, the, the basics of the body is still there, you know, it's just that uh, the body is prevented from getting decomposed. So I don't know, uh, you know, you, all this, this process of going through, usually a doctor would do it, but I think it's a priest that has done it. What is the qualification? The priest, man, imagine putting a hook through the nose and taking out the brain. Ow! Like, who are you? You know? Who are you to be able to do all that? And then cutting off the side of the body and taking off the organs. Hey, man! Who are you? What is your salary? What is your job description? What are the job requirements to be able to do such a job? Hey, man! Are you? Is this job available on Indeed.com? Can I apply? <laughs> but hey man that was like stunning i mean uh, imagine doing all this and why are they called mummification of body and not datification of the body you know that's and it seems uh these bodies uh if they had to be transported uh you know across countries or nations or across the around the earth uh they were taxed as salted fish because it's just marinating right so, which is pretty, it's pretty exciting, man. I mean, I was like, hey, man, walk like an Egyptian, walk like an Egyptian. Yeah, I have this, um, I have this comedy bit by, um, uh, by, since we're talking about Egypt and all that, uh, this comedy bit by Andrew Schultz. Okay. Now he has this great bit on, uh, you know, it, rem it reminded me about this great bit from him about the pyramids. And it just made me laugh. Of course, remember, it's a joke. So take it as a joke, as a pinch of salt, you know, nothing serious about it. It's just comedy, you know. So let's listen to it. And I'll be on the other side because it's it's really funny and it's so relevant. I want to play it right now because, you know, I was talking about this, uh, this mummification or dadification or whatever it is. Yeah, here it is. I just play it uh, right away. Anyway, I'm learning about Egypt. A bunch of fucking liars in Egypt. I just want to point that out. <laughs> liars. All of them fucking liars. I'm supposed to believe 4,000 years ago. You guys built the pyramids, right? And then for the next 4,000 years, you built jack shit? Not happening. Not happening. You built the greatest thing ever created by human beings 4,000 years ago. And then for the next 4,000 years, the best thing that you can create is cotton sheets? Fuck you, Egypt. I'm not a stupid person. I'm not going to believe some bullshit lie like that, okay? I do some more research. Turns out they didn't even build their own pyramids. Do you know who they say built the pyramids? Who, who do they say? They, that, they say that the Jews built the pyramids. Um, look, I think they got the contract. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they put all the blocks on top of each other. You know, I think they hired some Mexicans. Uh, a Mexican, you're Mexican. Yeah, you guys probably did it. You know, that's for real. That's why, that's why people are always like, the aliens built the pyramids. It's like, yes, illegal aliens built the pyramids. It's the wrong aliens, you know? You want to know some fucked up shit, though? Uh, are there pyramids in Mexico? Yeah. Beautiful pyramids, right? Gorgeous pyramids in Mexico. Nobody questions who built those. There is no hour. 
hour-long History Channel special. <laughs> who built the pyramids in Mexico? Mexicans, motherfucker, that's who built There was a quinceanera, they needed a tent, you know what I mean? that shit up by Saturday. <laughs> Aliens probably came, but they're like, we got it, we got it, don't worry. You go help the Jews, they're struggling in the desert. <laughs> That was a real funny bit. I love that bit, you know. And I, since I was talking about uh, mummies and all, uh, uh, mummies and everything, I said, let me just play this bit by Andrew uh, Shoots, if I've said it right. And since we we're talking about Egypt and so much of Egypt, like I never really imagined that I'll be talking about Egypt. But I believe uh, Hollywood uh, is making another movie uh, based on the life of Cleopatra, uh, which will be played by Gal Gadot. um who's going to play so there was a lot of controversy like it was it was breaking news on twitter like it was um it was trending on twitter and uh, because of the controversy that gal gadot is uh, a jew jewish woman and um, she's going to play an arabic uh, cleopatra but uh there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of you know like as if they didn't find an arabic uh, uh cleopatra you know arabic uh, actress to play a cleopatra and so there's so much controversy people hitting on uh, gagadot for accepting such a role etc but then uh, you know uh, it is an eye opener which i also learned while it was trending that cleopatra was actually greek she was uh, she has a greek ancestry uh she was born in 69 before christ um, and uh, she died in 30 bc uh, she was she was born in egypt but she comes with a greek uh, uh ancestry so um so that was an eye opener you know after the started trending that that's why you know maybe the casting or whatever but um if you look at the history cleopatra was not was not Ar- she was not arabic she was uh, she was uh, greek she was not egyptian she was greek you know and uh, maybe that's the reason uh, i believe uh, she is a migrant she came from wherever her ancestors were they moved to uh they moved to egypt and they actually ruled egypt uh, for a pretty long time um and you know during that time you know they always say the Cle- cleopatra is a very beautiful uh woman yes she may be beautiful but she it seems uh, spoke nine languages she was a, an ambitious woman she was a charmer she was a conversationalist a great conversationalist uh she was very intelligent and um uh while she was there you know she worked with her father uh, for about 4 years i believe before his death uh, while they were ruling uh you know uh while they were ruling egypt for a pretty long time and she learned a lot from her father and it seems uh, she even married her brothers uh uh you know so that she could have a hold over the throne so uh, she was a very ambitious woman and um i believe ultimately she died uh, by drinking snake poison and uh, she killed herself when you know uh when she was losing power over the the kingdom uh, uh it's a very interesting story i kind of went through it and i was like hey man this is some this is a movie that i would definitely watch you know whether it's gal gadot or whoever's playing the role cleopatra uh, the story you know we keep talking about her beauty but she's more than beauty she's a charmer she's intelligent she's a con- conversationalist you know um uh, there is this whole thing about julius caesar who was charmed by her beauty and that's how that's why he got married to her actually she wanted to marry julius caesar because uh because of the kingdom she wanted to kind of uh have a hands you know on the kingdom but julius caesar was not only uh didn't only go bonkers over beauty they say that he uh he considered her as an ally you know to be able to rule the kingdom because she was good with what she did she was intelligent you know she she could speak in different languages she was a good translator you know and uh she could win people's hearts easily because of intelligence you know so uh so that is the difference between you know what the world thinks about cleopatra and who she is she's a pretty intelligent uh woman you know and that's uh that's that's what made her so popular of course she always wanted the throne like she was always had her eyes on the throne like she never wanted to give it up and when it was time to give it all up she took up a life you know that's the that's the that's what power makes you do you know it makes you crazy i believe power really makes you crazy you know it can um it can make you corrupt 
and uh, it can uh, it can it just makes you take your life like you know how she did it because without that you're just nothing that's what you feel that's what it, that's why i say you know, it's always good to be a nobody you know you don't have expectations you don't have expectations from others that you to fulfill that's the best thing about it so uh so let i'm looking forward to the movie even if gal gadot is playing you know uh, it doesn't matter i mean uh, as long as uh, we get to know more about cleopatra and the world knows more about cleopatra she's not only about beauty she was intelligent she was an intellectual you know and that's what uh the world should know more about her i hope the movie focuses on that and that's what um, that's what i wanted to talk about uh for this week uh, thank you so much guys for listening i hope you you know i don't know why you listen to this uh, episodes of mine why do you listen to my podcast i have no idea but hey man thank you so much for doing it i really appreciate it you know what would i do without you <laughs> Anyways, uh don't forget if you want to write to me, write to me at justanobodypodcast@gmail.com. That's my email address. And um you can also, you know, kind of DM me on my Twitter account at m e a r l c o l a c o. That's my Twitter handle. Uh feel free to write there uh you know, if you're comfortable. Uh and thank you so much guys for listening. Uh if you want to if you want to kind of uh, be a be on my episodes one of my episodes or say something talk about a particular topic that you think that I would be interested please write to me you know I would love to take you on my uh, my show until until next time thank you so much guys uh, I'll be on the other side maybe a week from now with my next episode until I want to leave you with a song uh, since we're talking about Egypt and we talked so much about Egypt today like unexpectedly I didn't know that I'm going to do so much on Egypt let's listen to the song by the Bangles walk like an Egyptian and I'll be on the other side uh, stay tuned <laughs> like an egyptian anyways guys thank you so much for listening until next time baby bye 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 bye